In this week's show, a UN-led push to get more COVID vaccines into lots more arms all over the world, Afghanistan breaches the depths of destitution and an alert in northern Mozambique over the indoctrination of children by insurgents. Plus, the latest on the situation inside Syria from Paolo Pinheiro, chair of the UN-appointed International Commission of Inquiry on Syria, which reports to the Human Rights Council. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up, Dateline Geneva. Thanks for listening. First, the news with Katie Dartford. This is the news in brief from the United Nations. A new UN-led global initiative launched on Thursday to get more COVID-19 vaccines into countries where coverage is far behind richer nations is a way out of the pandemic for everyone, everywhere. This was the message from UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres as he lent his support to the World Health Organization-backed campaign. Its target is to get vaccines into the arms of 40% of people in all countries by the end of 2021 and 70% by the middle of next year. The goal is possible as global vaccine production is now at nearly 1.5 billion doses per month, but reaching 4 in 10 people in all countries by the year's end will depend on being able to mobilise $8 billion to ensure that distribution is done equitably. Mr Guterres described the plan as a costed, coordinated and credible path out of the coronavirus crisis. It was an alternative to vaccine nationalism, vaccine hoarding and vaccine diplomacy, the UN Secretary-General insisted. Life-saving aid distributions to millions in Afghanistan have been scaled up, but much more is needed before winter comes, UN humanitarians said on Wednesday, three weeks since a major international appeal for funds to help nearly 11 million of the most vulnerable by the end of the year. Only around a third of what's required has been received, said UN Humanitarian Coordinating Office Ocha. Supporting the call for urgent assistance, the head of the World Food Programme in Afghanistan, Mary Ellen McGroty, said that Afghanistan was on borrowed time. In my long career with WFP, I've never before seen a crisis unfold at this pace and scale, she said, adding that Afghans faced a new depth of destitution as drought and the economic crisis drives up food and fuel prices. In northern Mozambique, worrying reports have emerged that children as young as five have been shown how to handle weapons and indoctrinated to fight with insurgents. The warning on Tuesday from UN Children's Fund UNICEF came as aid access improved to previously inaccessible areas in Cabo Delgado province that were occupied by al-Shabaab militia. When fighting broke out in March, humanitarian access to the district was completely blocked and to tens of thousands of displaced people, including those who had fled the coastal town of Palma. It was only very recently that UNICEF and partners managed to deliver hygiene kits, water purification tablets, food and shelter to the displaced population in Parma with the help of the Mozambican authorities. Here's the agency's spokesperson in Geneva, James Elder. Unverified video material secured by armed forces in an abandoned training camp apparently shows abducted children, some as young as five, handling weapons and being indoctrinated to fight. This unfortunately is leaving very little doubt that children are being forcibly recruited by this non-state armed group. Katie Dartford, UN News. Thanks Katie and now to this week's interview with Paolo Pinheiro, head of the Commission of Inquiry on Syria. After more than 10 years of war, many parts of this beautiful Mediterranean country are a shell. Its people have been wrecked psychologically, physically and economically. 
the task of reporting on the rights violations that have happened and which continue to happen in the country is the job of the Commission of Inquiry. The three commissioners who lead investigations have just reported back to the Human Rights Council in Geneva. One of their main findings is that today, although President Bashar al-Assad controls about 70% of the territory and 40% of the pre-war population, there seems to be no moves to unite the country or to seek meaningful reconciliation. With more on this, let's hear from Commission Chair Paolo Pinheiro, who I spoke to in Geneva via Zoom. The main message of this report that despite the bombardments and the airstrike that were happening during all those years on the territory of Syria have diminished, this doesn't mean that the war against the civilians in terms of human rights relations, the humanitarian crimes, the arbitrary detention, they continue. Then we expected that when the government would control two-thirds of the territory, the government will be interested in establishing peace among its population. But that is not the case. And I think this is the central message of the report. Syria is not yet dignified place for the return of the millions of refugees. It's your suggestion that there is discontent even among the most loyal communities in the countries and those have led to protests. How has the government been trying to deal with these protests, which are caused really by economic deterioration in the country? First, it's very important to say that there are other actors contributing for this war against the Syrian people that are the terrorist organizations and the non-state armored groups that do an indiscriminate bombardments, for instance, attacks and bombs in the three areas that violence is concentrated. In the last three reports, we decided to devote a lot of attention to the real situation of the people living inside Syria. And even if we have not access to the territory, we're able to become aware of several protests precisely against difficulties in the everyday life in terms of the economy in a very bleak situation, the situation of water, electricity, everything aggravated by the destruction of the main cities in the country. It's very difficult to survive in Syria in this sort of post-conflict situation. And you've spoken about sieges being used once again as a tactic of war, which of course is a war crime. Where have these sieges been taking place and why? Yeah, we have seen sieges in areas in the northwest. Sometimes, perhaps as a conclusion of the evaluations, that is not interesting to use the army. And then there is a return to this kind of medieval tactics, that is, you encircle a village and then you forbid the circulation of food or medicines. Happily, these have been not so long sieges as we described in the past, but in any way, it is very worrisome that this practice of sieges have returned at this very moment. 
You have spoken about the armed groups around Syria. You've talked about targeted assassinations and the use of improvised explosive devices, which I think in your report you say happen really quite a lot. So it must be absolutely terrifying to be even contemplating going out to the market in Syria at the moment. Maybe you could just paint a picture of the daily struggle inside the country. It's really very difficult to live in Syria because from one side, you have the continuation of the practice by the government in terms of arbitrary detention. You never know when you will be able to pass a checkpoint without being detained. And the danger is also for the people who dare to return and they are detained because they have problems with the military service. Then you have the violations of practice by the government. But on the other hand, you have the indiscriminate attacks by armed groups, the most important HDS acting in the northwest, the Idlib, where you have these devices that perpetrate a terrible situation in the population. This is a population that is living under fear, despite the reduction of the hostilities. It's very hard to continue with a normal life in Syria, as it was possible before the war. Let's move quickly on then, if we can, to COVID and what your latest understanding of the situation is, given that hospitals have been targeted in the past and public infrastructure is in many places totally destroyed. What we are seeing in Syria is very much uh, in many countries in the south that are not in war. The situation has been aggravated precisely because of the destruction of the health structure that before the war was very positive in Syria. And also the access to the vaccines. Syria is having access mainly to COVAX, but is, of course it's not sufficient to deal. And then we have sort of 1% of the population that had been vaccinated against the pandemic. Thank you. And very last question to you. The ongoing uncertainty over Al Hol and, and the misery for so many children there of former ISIL fighters and ISIL families, or so-called ISIL families. What's the latest there? And you had some very strong words for member states who still won't take children home. For the last 30 months, we are seeing uh, thousands of children so young as six years or eight years old that continue in institutions, in, in different institutions in the all hall camp. And we have invoked many times the Convention of the Rights of the Child. And we are seeing uh, countries that abide to this convention being unable to liberate these children. The children cannot pay for the sins of their parents. This is an absurd. But this is exactly what is happening. Democratic countries that abide to the principles of the Convention of the Rights of the Child are not respecting these principles in dealing with those children in prison. I think this is one of the most scandalous features of the present situation, uh, the present war against the Syrian people in Syria. My thanks to Paolo Pinheiro for the latest on the situation in Syria. For more detail on the Commission's findings, you can read its report on the UN Human Rights Office website now. It's ohchr.org. And now it's time to welcome back Solange Bertegui-Cortez, who joins us on the line for some closing comments. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. During the COVID pandemic, we have often heard the desire to go back to normal. 
But what is normal here is not normal there. Paulo Pinheiro asked something that made me think, how to have a normal life in Syria? In her book, Lend Me a Window, the poet and documentary filmmaker Hala Mohammad, who fled Syria in 2011, talks about her Syria, where bombs destroy houses, windows. How to live in a country without windows? For Hala Mohammad, bombs cannot destroy art and culture. Poetry is right in silence, she said, which I think could also mean that poetry is the act of breaking the silence. In her poetry, Hala writes, Once upon a time, not so very long ago, there was a people known the Syrian people. They lived in a country called Syria, which bordered the Mediterranean facing the rising sun. It was here that the first alphabet was created. The rhythm of its civilization was a mosaic of languages, religions, and tribes that permitted the country shaping its geography and its history. Like many of her fellow Syrians, Hala Mohammad is armed with nothing but words. As long as they live, they will not stop telling their tale with images, photos and films, poems, novels, songs and music, paintings and theater. They are fighting to nurture a culture of life that's stronger than the culture of murder. For those who are forced to live on the run, for the displaced, for the arbitrarily detained, poetry is their voice. Poetry is also a window on people's history. As Hala says, all I want when I return is to find the path, the pavement, the old house, and that the tree remembers me. Lend me a window. Thank you, Solange. Yes, it is a bleak picture, but the decade-old conflict is not forgotten by any means. Thanks to Paolo Pinheiro and the other members of the Commission of Inquiry that reports to the Human Rights Council, Karen Koenig Abu Zaid and Hani Megali, who we've spoken to on this show before. It's time to wrap things up, so we'd better do that. My thanks to you, Solange, for your comments, as ever. To Katie Dartford for being with us today, also. And thank you, listeners, for making time for the show and following the UN's work. Don't forget, if you want more headlines, stories and interviews, just check out UN News. We'll be back next week with my first interview with a giant puppet that's been walking from Syria to Manchester to highlight the plight of refugees from that conflict. Until then, look after yourselves. Bye-bye for now. Ciao, Daniel. Nos vemos la próxima semana.